This homily is about identity theft. We know more or less what identity theft is. It's a phrase we use to describe a certain set of events. But I don't want, I wonder if we aren't maybe making a fundamental error when we call it identity theft. When somebody steals your identity, what does it mean? It means they might have your credit card number or your address. They could have access to your bank account or your social security number. So if you were a person without those things, if you were, for instance, an immigrant who had come to the US without documentation, and if you didn't have a credit card or a bank account or a social security number, would that mean you have no identity? Is our address, or the money we may or may not have access to, or a number the federal government gives us when we're born, is that our identity? I hope not. My social security number is not very interesting. I don't have very much money in my bank account. And I live at 55 North Lake Avenue. If that's all there is to me, there's not much hope. What our actual identity is, is the fact that we've been created by God, who loves us unconditionally, and that we are made in his image and likeness, and that nothing we can do can take that away, or can take away the fact that we are valuable to him. This has been on my mind because a friend told me this week that he just found out that he has been the victim of identity theft. Somebody, over the last couple of years, uh, filed false unemployment claims in my friend's name uh, and received $20,000. My friend, at the time, was not only not unemployed, but training to be a medic for the US Air Force and now has to dig himself out of this situation. Here is another example of a deeper and more profound kind of identity theft. There was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That man, who had been infested with a demon, was experiencing a really radical and profound kind of identity theft. Maybe he wanted to go up to Jesus and to say, I love you, that's why I'm here, and I'm coming for you. But instead, this spirit who has invaded him speaks for him, and in this really sad, terrible way, speaks in the plural, as if he's sort of co-opted this human being's personality. It says, what have you to do with us. That's identity theft, and Allstate can't help you with that. Most of us don't suffer from Satan in so explicit a way, but we are often willing to accept a level of deceit in our own lives um, that is all the more dangerous because it's so hidden and quiet. 
And the process of fiscal identity theft is actually kind of helpful for understanding how we get there and how we get out. So the beginning of identity theft is that somebody gets your information. One of the most common ways that this happens is through phishing, with a PH, so that you get some email information, contact from your bank or from somebody else's bank, and you think it's real, and you give over something that belongs only to you to somebody to whom it does not belong. We can do that financially, we can just do that spiritually, too. I think we get fished a lot in life. We might be presented with some apparent good. Romance, good grades, getting a good job, being liked. And we say, wow, this looks like the real thing. Maybe this is good, maybe I can give something to this. And we start by identifying this good and then we give over parts of ourselves to this good that really belong to God. And then what starts to happen is each time we choose this apparent good, which might really be a good, but only in relationship with God, we give over more and more of our hearts to it. And then it has our information. And what happens after that, after you get fished or somebody steals your identity, is that slowly over time, for instance, your bank account can get depleted. Maybe just a little bit at a time, like our holiness, our integrity. No one will really notice if we just take out a little bit there or a little bit there. But you take out a little bit here or there, and then the whole Jacob thing falls over. We're not made for that. But there's also a way out. A reconciliation process if your identity has been stolen. And it sounds like it's a pretty complicated process uh, and tough to go through. But basically, you have to call one of the credit reporting agencies and explain that your identity has been stolen. And then they freeze, changing your credit report so that things that don't belong to you, that aren't really part of what you're doing and who you are are getting attributed to you. So that stops. But then you have to go through all of these bank statements, probably all of your bank statements, every line of them, and different bank accounts, a few different bank accounts. And any false charge or claim that you have, you have to call the business and say, that doesn't belong to me. And it's a pretty long process. And there's also a kind of spiritual version of this. If we have goods in our lives, and we all have goods in our lives, that we've given our hearts over to in a way that's not whole. There's a really simple prayer that we can say in daily life. I pray it a lot. Um, when you notice that there's something like this, and you want freedom from it. You want to be part of this reconciliation process. And it's just to identify the good. Say, Jesus, I notice that I desire the good of friendship. But maybe I desire it in a way that's kind of disordered, and so I ask you to give me the gift of true friendship. Jesus, I'm aware that I'm fearful. Give me the gift of trust. And if we call on the Lord like that, call on the Holy Spirit, He will help us, and He does. 
And it does just help us to be able to name those things out loud, which is part of why we have the sacrament of reconciliation. And this is precisely what God has done for us. He comes to give us our identities back, to give us the things that the world can sort of erase or start to take away, that can fade in life, all the anxieties and the distractions, to give us focus. That's why he became one of us in such a focused way. He became a human being, suffered, died, and rose for us. And that's why people say that Jesus spoke with real authority. He didn't just give people tips in a homily on how to avoid evil spirits. He really cast them out. And I think the things that demons say to Jesus in the Gospels are always fascinating and really telling. And to conclude, the demon says just three things that are spot on in a way. The first thing he says is, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I think that's an attitude that we have a lot of time, and that in a certain way is the motto of our culture, unconsciously. It's too amazing to us that God would want to become one of us, to give us his flesh and blood, and so we kind of cry out, what have you to do with us? Stay away. I'm not good enough. And then this demon says, have you come to destroy us? And that's how a lot of people think about it. If I let God into my life, I'm going to be less free. My life is going to be less enjoyable, and I'm going to lose my identity which is, in fact, all of the stuff that Jesus restores to us. So those first two things we don't want to say. But the last thing is actually really beautiful. It's something we can pray anytime. If we feel like our identity is lost, if we feel like we're afraid, we can pray it at the Mass when we receive communion. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And if we can pray that, saying that to the Lord from our hearts, then we can also say, not just, I know who you are, but I know because of who you are, who I am.